Tony Michael, welcome to the podcast, man. How you doing today? Thanks, Eddie. Appreciate it. I'm doing great. Other than this uh, rainy weather we're getting here in Atlanta right now. How's the weather down there? Dude, the same thing doing like literally I'm looking out my window right now and yeah, it's raining. So yeah, we're getting rain, uh, rain in like 30 degrees. I feel like I'm back home in Connecticut, which is where I'm from originally. And I'm like, man, I moved away from this weather. <laughs> yeah, dude. So um, I've actually been following your work for uh, for quite some time. And uh, just before we uh, started recording here, you mentioned Dave McRae, who is, yeah, he's the introduction uh, to you through me. So like by watching him, is how I was introduced to your work. And oh, awesome. uh, I, I assume that's sort of how it's been kind of unfolding as, uh, as the days go on here. You, like, you'll find more and more people that are uh, finding you through Dave. Huge, big time. Dave's been a big um, supporter of you know, the, both of my styles of photography, not just the horror stuff, but just my general photography in, you know, in general. Um, and uh, bringing me on to his channel and uh, being a part of his weekly show and the, the, the two dudes show that we do, uh, it's been a huge help. It's, it, it definitely broadened me out to a lot of people. And uh, I remember when he first brought me on, the, some of the people were like, what do you mean he takes pictures of horror people? And then all of a sudden people started coming to my Instagram account like, oh, he really does this stuff for real. And it was just like, so yeah, a lot of it, a lot of my success definitely is through working with Dave. And he's been a great person to uh, collaborate with on YouTube. And, you know, we're talking about some other bigger better projects in the future, some fan films, uh, particularly uh, Halloween. Uh, and we've got a really good idea that we've been putting together. And I think that's probably going to be the first project him and I actually do as far as a physical collaboration versus to just doing our podcast over, um, over YouTube. Dude, it's so good, man. Like I seriously got to commend you on, uh, first of all, your photos, like, um, and I kind of wanted to talk to you about that because, sure. uh, if you go to Tony's Instagram page, which um, the link is going to be in the show notes, but uh, if you go to it, you'll go through it and uh, you'll notice that because when you started doing photography, you weren't focusing on the like the horror community, correct? Correct. If you, I, I have two Instagram accounts. I have the main horror one, which you're referring to in, in your link, and then I have my secondary one, which is just... I call it it's it's general photography. It's 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 a it's an aesthetic look that I've been inspired by some of my favorite photographers growing up as a little kid, um, William Eggleston and Stephen Shore's work, um, and even Jason Lee uh, Brody from Mallrats. Uh, he's yeah. a, he's a photographer. A lot of people don't know that they just identify him as either Earl or he's a skater, but he's actually a really phenomenal uh, photographer, a perspective uh, photographer. I guess it's a proper word uh, to you. He's uh, he he captures very interesting composition, and I've taken that aesthetic look, and that's what I like. You mentioned that's what I was doing before. But being a creator, I'm always looking to really push you know my creativity. And then that's, it was through Dave, actually, how this all started. Um, a, a friend of his or someone who was following him um, reached out to Dave and said, hey, would Tony mind if I send him uh, a Michael Myers mask? And I was like, well, no, cool, I'll, I'll take the mask. Never thinking that I was going to do a photo shoot with it. It was just, you know, I was going to put it on display and have it on the background, make it look nice for when Dave and I do the stream. And then 
I think it was Dave who mentioned to me one day, he's like, you know, dude, you should really think about I don't know, doing a Halloween themed photo shoot or something. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if anybody's going to like it or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, um, I, I know people like the whole like cosplay stuff. And when people get dressed up and do like it through a selfie, but like to do it like on a professional scale, um, using like my pro cameras and stuff that I use for my commercial clients. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't think people are going to like it. I was so doubtful and very just not 100% confident that people were going to warm up to it. And it just kind of took off, like, on a whole level that I didn't even expect from that very first photo shoot I did last March uh, with a buddy of mine. And we were in this abandoned house, and he was standing up there at the top of the staircase. I'm like, whoa, we're on to something here. Like, it's like we, we knew something clicked. And no pun there, um, but we just knew something was going to happen from the very first photograph and the very first post. And now it's just taken on a life of its own. And I'm getting messages every day like, hey, dude, you should do this character. Hey, dude, you should do this character. And, you know, I, I love that. I think that's the one thing that I like about that is that. I feel that it's becoming a, a bigger community and people are, you know, throwing in some ideas at me and I'm, I'm taking them. I take them down. I write them down. I think, you know, and I see like, okay, how could that possibly fit within the narrative of the characters? Because if you do follow the horror uh, content that I post on that specific account, I try really hard to stay within the continuity of these characters that people know. That's the big thing. I think why it's worked. And even Dave has said that, that the, the main reason it's working for you is that you're keeping the continuity. It looks familiar to people. You're not doing what some other people might do. You know, like if someone lived in a city or whatever and dressed up as Michael Myers, well, Michael Myers is from Haddonfield, you know, Illinois, which is a Midwest country town. Your photos reflect that. Or if it, I'm doing a leather face shoot, my photos reflect that even though I'm in Georgia, it looks like this could be in Texas. And it looks like what we saw visually that Toby Hooper gave us back in 1974 with the original film. So that's the, you know, I really try to keep that aesthetic look to the characters so that people, when people do come to my account, they look at it and go, okay, the only one character though, I'm still working on is Freddie. Freddie, I haven't quite nailed just yet. I, that, that's been a struggle mainly because of the mask. I haven't really found the right overall look and I've been working with other mask creators to come up with a better look on Freddie. That, that, that's been my Achilles heel right now. Yeah, dude. I, oh man, like just looking at the photos and then, but like you, you kind of compliment that with, uh, watching you on two dudes and some bullshit, which is a phenomenal weekly show. Everybody go check it out. Seriously. It's, uh, uh, like the chemistry between you and Dave is just, uh, it's, it, 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 it it's really fun to watch like the first episode and then you kind of compare it to, where you are now which is like what episode 50 or something yeah we're closing in on that the big 5-0 um yeah you know it's funny the very i was so nervous because i hate hate funny being a photographer i hate being in front of the camera like i just can't do it um if i didn't have someone like dave there who can control the mic and can control the audience and i can feed off of him if I didn't have that, I, there's no way I could do it because I get real, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, I get very bad anxiety when it's in front of a camera and I have to talk and I have to talk to an audience. I mean, I'm talking like clammy hands, the whole nine yards. That's why, <laughs> that's why you don't see my hands a lot in the video and why I move my hands a lot in the live stream is because my hands are constantly sweating. So I'm like, I'm 
below camera, what you guys aren't seeing, I'm constantly shaking my hands because my hands are always like getting clammy and whatnot because it's just that anxiety. And, you know, again, if I didn't have someone like Dave there to really control the show, there's no way I can do it. But yeah, I, I would agree with that. What you just said, where I was at the beginning with now, um, it's, it's a night and day different. And, it's, and I think, you know, we really found our stride with it, you know, and we're coming up with some different ideas on what we want to do in 2020, um, you know, to broaden just beyond just the horror genre. Cause Dave and I are both big star Wars fans. Uh, we're both into just different types of movies as well too. And the hard thing is you don't want to get stereotyped into just one thing. Cause then that's all your audience is going to want from you. I think both Dave and I look at it like, well, Hey, we're, we're a lot more than this. And that's why I have my second Instagram account, which is just general photography shooting just the random stuff. It's not specifically themed to one thing that most photographers do on Instagram because with my ADD, there's no way I can focus on just doing one thing. I have to be doing multiple things. Otherwise my mind is just going to go nuts. That's just the creator in me. I have to like have like 10 different things going on simultaneously. And people look at me like, dude, how do you do it? And it's like, I've been doing this my whole life. And I think that's just a, a creator thing. I, I don't know how to explain it. So like when I'm doing a horror theme shoot yesterday, uh, we did a Jason Voorhees shoot up at the filming location because um, I live near the Friday the 13th part six uh, filming Jason Lives uh, filming location. And while I'm up there, I'm literally doing photos for my other Instagram account and the makeup artists and the Jason are like, hey, dude, we're over here. I'm like, well, yeah, I know. Just give me a second. I got to get this shot. <laughs> That's crazy, man. But like you said, like, is it actually something that you're uh, diagnosed with, like ADHD? Like, like, is it an actual not, diagnosis? Not hyper, not not hyper, but just yeah. No, I, I was I was diagnosed with ADD as a young kid, uh, but my my parents never did the whole medicine thing. We, my mom was more on the just be a, you know be you, go out, be creating and stuff like that. And I mean, I still have my very first little point and shoot film camera that my grandmother gave me for my tenth birthday back in '89. And I used to just take that little guy out and just ride around on my bicycle and just taking random pictures of my neighborhood and around town of just the most oddest thing. And I'd give the role to my mom and she'd go develop it at the one hour mode of photo or whatever. And then I Monday come around, I would show it off to my friends in school. My friends would look at me like, what are you doing? Like, I don't know. Then like after a while, they'd be like, hey, can we have that picture? Can we have a copy of that photo? You know, because as my skills were getting better, and it's just, it's the same stuff that I'm doing now. It, nothing's changed. The only thing that's changed is just digital. But yeah, like for me, that was the way I could control the ADD, you know what I mean? And not have to necessarily rely on, um, on medication or anything like that. It was through my creative outlet and having the multiple, you know, creative things going on, plus my own uh, client stuff that I'm doing while I'm doing all this. It, it keeps that balance going. I don't, I, I, I know for some people they need more calm and they need more peace. Me, I need to have my mind constantly going, going, going in different directions and having that distraction of doing something creative and whatever they want, the doctors would call a chemical imbalance or whatever that goes on with a person inside their head, typically for ADD, I'm able to control it that way. So I never had to uh, rely on medicine, but never was ADHD. I think that's the hyper one. I think, isn't that what that is? I think so. But like when you say that, because I guess I'm just naive to it. When you say like you have to constantly be doing stuff, I associate that with 
what that actually is like the like the add like you like your your mind is constantly racing so it's yes yes that's what's really interesting is the fact that you actually fix that problem by essentially doing what the problem is problem is exactly <laughs> it's, it's like it's like counterbalancing it you know what i mean it's 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 so weird um how that i've been able to do that but it, it's it works effectively for me because i i think because of the fact that i always have something to do like i'm in the process of shooting a documentary right now for a client of mine and that's taking up a lot of my time during the week is because uh, it's a, a 60 minute documentary and you know right now i'm in the phase of going through all the audio flushing out the all of the audio making sure that you know you know writing down my notes like okay we got to go and reshoot this again because that didn't come out good that didn't come out good then i've got like i said i did the jason Voorhees shoot yesterday so i'm going to be working on those photos this week and editing that then I got my general photography thing going. The show with Dave, we, you know, we're always talking to each other throughout the course of the week and throwing out some ideas. And, you know, what are we going to do for the review of uh, Skywalker? What are we going to do for the live stream with Black Christmas and things like that? So my mind is constantly distracting itself with everything that I've got going on. And yes, you're right. It, it's, it literally became the counterbalance to the ADD. And it just works for me. And I think ultimately it comes down to every individual and how it's going to work for them. Some people might need to rely on medication. Some people might rely on meditation, you know, and I think what I'm doing creatively is, is a form of meditation. You know, when I'm out just doing general photography and I'm not doing a horror shoot and I'm not doing anything for a client and I'm just going out shooting, my mind is focused. My mind is focused on my surroundings. I'm looking at it and I'm looking to find something interesting to photograph that eventually I'm going to want to share with people. So again, it keeps it keeps my mind really focused to where the ADD doesn't become disruptive in my life. That's so cool, man. Like, are you a, like a big advocate for like that kind of stuff? Like, do you, like, are you very much against like someone being prescribed something to, to like the kind of fix themselves? No. Absolutely not. Because I think, again, like I said a moment ago, I think it, if, I think everybody's different. You know what I mean? What, what, what works chemically in my mind is going to work different in your mind and in Dave's mind or, you know, uh, Susie's mind and Mary's mind or whoever. You know what I mean? It, I think we're all different. And I think we all have to find a way to whatever helps us get to whatever we need to do. Now, I don't think someone should be medicated permanently because i think there is a a, a long-term uh damaging effect when you are heavily relying on medication your whole life i think that it should be something like it, it should almost be like a a crutch for a period of time until you can figure out ways to where you don't necessarily need to rely on it permanently. Now, I know some people might disagree and say you know well i have an extreme version of this and they can go through all the reasons and why and whatnot but you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, we would all would agree that the long term uses of medication, regardless of what the medication is, isn't good for us because ultimately we're putting a substance and a source into our body that really shouldn't be there because uh, I'm a health nut. I, I mean, I run like literally every day, six miles every day. I work out every day. I'm fanatical about what I eat. So I'm also fanatical about what I put in my body. Um, and I have researched that and the long-term effects of medication and what the long-term effects of medication can do to someone. I remember the first time my doctor put me on, um, very briefly, cause I was going through some stuff in my twenties and this was like 15 years ago. 
And um, he put me on uh, Lexapro or something like that. And like two days on that, man, I was like, ugh, like I had like emotional, like roller coaster. I literally like just started crying for no reason. And my boy was looking at me. He's like, dude, what is wrong with you? Like, I don't know, dude. Like, I think this medication is just weird. He's like, well, just stop taking it. And I did. I stopped taking it. And I was just like, nah, I told my doctor, I was like, dude, I can't do that, man. Like, I, I'll have to figure out something else. And the reason why he put me on it was because I, this is during, I think this was during, like, I was working two jobs in my 20 to, to, until I was able to establish myself financially as a photographer full time. It was the photography job. And then my uh, other job, uh, I was working at a gym. And so I was working just really long hours. I was putting in anywhere between, you know, 16 to 20 hour days. Um, you know, and I, you know, having to pay my dues, like every photographer, anyone in any line of work has to do, you've got to pay your dues before you can get to a level of success to where you are stable. And I was consuming so much caffeine. I mean, I'm talking like, dude, on days I'd have like six Red Bulls, three double shot espressos from Starbucks, Jesus Christ. The, 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 <laughs> the, 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 the ant energy drinks and stuff that you would get in the gym. I mean, I'm pounding this back. And then I just remember one night, my heart felt like it was literally going to explode through my chest. I go to my doctor the next day and he immediately put me on Lexapro. And I thought that that was such a bad diagnosis by him because he did know my history of the ADD but he didn't really sit back to go okay well your lifestyle right now what are you doing and uh, oh yeah maybe not drink so much energy drinks get more sleep don't be you know going on four hours of sleep a day like he didn't take the time out to really you know do the little deduction and sherlock holmes it a little bit to maybe find a better solution you know and that's what i mean by uh not you know permanently being you know on medication that Maybe if you start doing some deduction here, you might find reason why things are happening in your life, why the ADD or ADHD is affecting you the way it is. And once you do that process of elimination, you're able to start combating it and finding ways to control it to where a point that you may not have to permanently be on medication. Now, I mean, if you're talking like medication for people who are really sick and stuff like that, that's entirely different. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, for, but for things that are like, you know, ADD, I think that, you know, as you get older, I think your mind can find ways to counterbalance it uh, to where you don't need to rely on medication. But I do believe in it in the sense that it can help people to get maybe to that point. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm very much uh, I'm not like an advocate. I'm not like someone that does like seminars and shit, but like it is something that, uh, you know, I think it runs in everybody's family. Like you can kind of trace it to some family member has something sure. going on. Right. And absolutely. And yeah, like you're like, you're always thinking like, there's gotta be a better way where you're not reliant on opening up a pill bottle, popping back 20 pills and, and, and sedating yourself. Like there's like, there's gotta be natural ways to, to like to do this and hearing your story about like, you found that through your photography. That's, that's natural. Like that's a beautiful remedy of, uh, it was, it was a very organic thing to do. And like I said, you know, I, you know, I run every day. I, you know, I'm, I'm in the gym a couple of days a week as well too. So like keeping myself doing things productive, you know, um, even if you're not someone who's into like fitness, you know, walking, you know, whatever, or hiking, uh, you know, you can find activities and it's through finding those activities that you may discover things about yourself that you didn't know you were into. 
um, or into doing, you know what I mean? Like I never set out to, you know, start an Instagram account that's going to be dedicated to strictly horror movies. It just organically happened through the process of meeting Dave and, you know, everything just domino effect to where we are now with it. That wasn't something that I, you know, set out to do 10 years ago. Like, okay, one day I'm going to have this Instagram account with all these, you know, iconic horror characters. No, it just organically happened the way, you know, that it did just like, you know, my process in dealing with ADD, finding, you know, ways to can combat it through photography or exercising or, you know, just in general, just really just keeping myself busy. Dude, that's so cool. And plus, like, I mean, you're very, you're very open and honest, like, w like watching you like on two dudes and some bullshit, like you'll say st like shit that just is, is, <laughs> is, is fucking great. Like, seriously, no, like, like, I, I'm one of the people like, if I'm watching, like, I might not be typing, but I'm like applauding you because it's, uh, it's awesome. So like, I assume like, also, with, like with the photography and, and, and whatnot, like, like, if you have to like smoke weed, if you have to like do something you, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like oh, there's yeah. a negative connotation to this stuff and I don't understand it. Like I'm not someone that does it, but I'm not someone that's like, you know, Oh no, outlaw that shit, get rid of it. Like, I think it actually is very, very beneficial to, to a lot of people's problems. And, uh, uh, I know a lot of people that, that, that do it. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say you're 100% right, because marijuana, it, for me anyways, uh, I am very pro for it and very much support it. And um, for me, and I know a lot of people who are in the same boat, who have ADD, who have a mind that constantly goes, 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 but you need a shutdown point, because if you can't shut down, I can't fall asleep. It would be impossible. Like, and I know a lot of people can relate to that. You're going to be sitting there thinking, thinking, thinking. Even if I read, I could literally read an entire book through the, throughout the whole night and I still won't get tired. My mind just will be constantly going. And it's because of the marijuana and the THC and the marijuana that helps my mind to get to a point of relaxation. It, it shuts down to a point to where I can go to sleep comfortably and I get a good night's sleep from it. And that's the, I mean, it sounds like a cheesy, lame excuse to smoke, nah. but I don't smoke during, you know, I don't smoke during the day. I don't smoke when I'm on a job for a client. I don't smoke on any of my photo shoots or anything like that. I only do it at the very end of the day, or maybe sometimes before I go on live with Dave, um, <laughs> I might do it just, 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 just to take the edge off a little yeah. bit. But other than that, you know, it, it's not like, you know, oh, well, you're just a stoner man. And you didn't, like, no, it's not, it's not about, I know so many, it's funny because I know so many successful people and I'm talking doctors, I'm talking lawyers. These are clients of mine. Okay. I will never name names because I don't want my clients to get upset with me, but I'm talking people with serious money. I'm talking like, if like, if I'm on the third class of Titanic, which is where I would be, these people are on the first class. Okay. And they smoke, you know, and I know they smoke because I get stuff from them sometimes. Okay. So like, you know, this negative, like you said, this stigma of, of how people view people who smoke marijuana, if you only knew in our country alone, the, the people that you think are smokers that are not smokers, they actually are smokers. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's, I just had my friend on uh, Jason Latona. He's a, uh, he's a, uh, he's like a theme park, uh, enthusiast and 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 he's actually worked for universal and he's like cool. he's done everything and we had a big talk about uh about that and how he was like dude you need to try it like it's just like just, just you know just try it and i was telling him that it's the only unfortunate part about it is 
and maybe you can tell me if what we talked about is not correct, but like the stench from, from weed is horrific to me. And it's, and that's the reason why I don't do it. If I'm being completely honest, like if I were to narrow it down to one reason, the smell is horrible. <laughs> like, I think, because, I think for me, because I'm again, uh, I'm a bit OCD when it comes to cleanliness in my home. No. Okay. I'm not a bit, I'm Howard Hughes o- OCD when that's what the way people describe me. They don't like coming to my house sometimes because I do not like stuff being moved. I like everything to be like spotless. Um, cause I am the same way. I'm very particular about smells. Uh, I don't like smells at all. And I think because of the, 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 the cleanliness of my home and just always having that fresh scent, that fresh smell in there when you walk in, uh, it literally smells like you're walking into like the mountains of Georgia and the, the, that, the, or any mountain range really for that matter in that fresh pine smell always all year round, except for October, I get into that pumpkin shit. <laughs> um, but because of that, I think I, I, I don't smell it or that my, my sense of smell for that has just grown accustomed to it because I've been doing it literally my whole entire life. I mean, I literally come from a long line of pot smokers. My grandmother grew this shit up in her house up in the mountains of Connecticut where she lived. I should say hills because Connecticut really doesn't have mountains, but what they would call a mountain, we would normal people would call a hill. And, uh, yeah, she would just grow this stuff in her yard. There's a picture of me somewhere. I'd have to dig it up. Uh, well, this is a podcast. I don't think people are going to uh, see it. They're only going to hear yeah. it. Uh, but there's a picture of me as a kid, uh, with my grandmother and my meme. My meme was my great grandmother and they're holding me. And I'm literally, I'm probably no more than, I don't know, two, uh, one, maybe two. And there's a giant ass pot plant behind me <laughs> behind, behind my grandparents. You know what I mean? So it's just like. I grew up in this atmosphere. My mom, she smokes weed. I, you know, I smoked weed with my mom. Uh, first time ever smoking weed with, with someone was with my mom on uh, Super Bowl Sunday back in the nineties, uh, early nineties. And uh, so for me, I, I think I was exposed to marijuana a little different. I, you know, for me, it, it was just more of a natural thing. It was a family thing. You know, you could be an okay family. You didn't have to be considered, you know, white trash, you know, drug people, like, you know, whatever, how, whatever stigma or stereotype you want to categorize people in who smoke weed. You could be a normal family, live in a normal house and, you know, do your normal thing and whatever. And you know, you didn't have to have that stigma of it. So I think that's why for me, I look at marijuana a little different than what most people might look at it as because I had it, I, it just was part of my upbringing. I didn't know anything else and know anything different. If that makes any sense. No, no, it makes perfect sense. It's yeah, it's, it's the way you're raised. And that's so cool. Like that you, like the first time you did it was, was with your mom. I mean, oh, my mom. Oh yeah. No, she fucking awesome. The, <laughs> yeah. She wanted that to be the case because, you know, I mean, we, I was getting to that age. I think I was like around 13 at the time. And, you know, once you're hitting your teens, you know, you're going to start to become exposed to stuff. And, you know, rather than getting the uh, birds and the bees talk, I got the marijuana talk. <laughs> that was funny. I remember that day now as I'm sitting here reflecting on that. So it was just like, you know, be careful of certain things. Be careful of this, you know, looking for certain things that might be laced and things like that and how to tell if it's been laced or not laced and and whatnot. Uh, although nowadays it's becoming harder and harder because of the way they're growing it. They're growing it within uh, the plant itself. And, you know, which I don't like because I'm a purist. I like everything to just be pure. I hate it when people grow it within uh, or growing or mixing it. 
uh, I should say, from within inside the plant and whatnot. I think it just uh, it, it it brings it down. You know, you know, you marijuana never needed to be fixed. It never needed to be altered. It never needed to be changed. And when you do that, I just I don't, I, I personally don't like it. I know some people like it, and that's that's on you. Uh, but I definitely I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's cool. Like, but just like to kind of bring it all full circle, just watching you, man. And, and, and I strongly suggest every single person listening to this, you check out uh, Tony's Instagram accounts, which again, will be linked in the show notes. You check out two dudes and some bullshit because watching you, man, like, and this is why I was so like comfortable reaching out to you is, is you're just so incredibly laid back and, and chill. And, and I knew it was going to be an easy conversation. I didn't have any kind of like nerves going into this because, um, that's the way you present yourself. And I think like more people need to do that. Like, I'm not saying like you have to be that way, but it's, it, it just makes everything so much easier. And then you complement that with your work, which has such a professionalism to it. And I know, you know what the fuck you're doing because you constantly are talking about it with Dave on two dudes and some bullshit. And, and it's honestly inspiring, dude. Like there's a big level of inspiration from the show your work and uh it, you know it it's reaching people so i mean if you're ever like doubtful about that shit don't like don't be because it's it- oh and i know i appreciate that and i know dave appreciates you know that as well too because you know i've always tried to come at it and i know dave does as well too not necessarily when we're talking about a movie whether we're talking about halloween or whether we're talking about nightmare on elm street or we're, we're talking about new movies and whatnot I'm always approaching it from the uh, from the side of what it's like to be behind the, the the lens and from the narrative of you know the cinematography and storytelling. You know, I, I've never looked at myself, and I know Dave feels the same way as like a traditional critic. Um, so if I'm going to criticize a film, I'm I'm going to criticize it more so on. You know, um, David Gordon Green, you know, you could have made a better decision on the framing of this shot, you know, rather than doing a center frame shot of Michael closing the truck, you really should have probably stuck to a side shot, you know, things like that, of that nature, you know what I mean? Um, Versus to like, you know, the people out there who you just described that actually Dave and I were just having this conversation about how we wanted to handle uh, our discussion about Rise of Skywalker. Uh, because I'm seeing a lot of things that are just not adding up in people's reviews. Uh, one, people are, um, are, are not, uh, they don't know the material clearly because otherwise they wouldn't be saying some of the things that they're saying in their reviews. Uh, and I think they're doing a lot of it also to be clicky. Whereas me and Dave don't do stuff to be clicky. We're just going to present it to you as is. We're going to present it to you from our perspective of how we're seeing it. Dave's going to see it one way. I'm going to see it the way I just described it to you. Rather than, you know, just hating on something to hate because it's the trendy thing to do or the popular thing to do, because that's what it seems like in order to get views on YouTube, you have to fall into that fake, uh, let me be upset, let me be angry, let me shit on this movie like everybody else is doing. And I think Dave posted his reasons for liking. Uh, he did a solo video. If I, I don't know if it's up or public yet. I know he said he was doing it. Uh, but why he liked the movie. And I'm like, dude, good, man. You should. Don't, you know, if you're the lone wolf out there, go and be the lone wolf out there. Don't worry about what anybody else is saying. Um, and I think that's, you know, you hit it on the nail there with what you said. And I think 
we try our best. I know Dave does as well too, to try to come across as genuine and sincere to people and to be very approachable, which is why I've always made it a, uh, a habit to respond to every comment that's on my Instagram uh, post, just to thank people. Hey man, thanks for stopping by. I appreciate you leaving a comment. I don't want people to feel that I'm standoffish and I'm unreachable. Uh, I think a lot of Instagrammers and social media influencers who have become popular tend to do that because they want to try to elevate their status on this, like I'm better than you bar. And I'm like, you know, I'm a Kardashian, I'm Kanye West, I'm this people, you know what I mean? And like, at the end of the day, even them, they're just people like me and you, but people seem to put these people on some type of pedestal. And I never came across that way. In fact, the dude that I was doing the pictures with yesterday who dressed up as Jason for me, he kept talking about you guys that follow me on Instagram as my fans. And I kept telling him like, don't refer to them as fans. They're part of my community because I don't like people telling me that I have fans. It just feels weird. I'd rather just people say, I've got a nice community. I've got, an, I've got people who support what I'm doing and we engage with each other. And that's very important to me. And I think a lot of creators tend to not do that because they try to put themselves on like, well, I'm higher than you. I'm better than you. I don't need to, to talk to you. I don't need to respond to your comment. And I disagree with that wholeheartedly because if it weren't for the people there supporting you, you wouldn't be doing your content. That's the bottom line. And I think it takes, you know, a little time out of your day to say, hey, thanks for reaching out. You know, doesn't hurt. Very true. Very true. And being a content creator and, uh, and a social media influencer and, 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 and everything. And I know you've talked about this on the show, but like uh, just for the podcast here, like how do you deal with for people that are listening that might be going through the same thing? How do you deal with like if someone were to send you something negative like oh you, like like your like your shit is fucking awful like fuck you go kill yourself like how do you deal with that shit <laughs> Okay so we can just use for uh, we'll use my Instagram account for an example I get that from time to time I'll get people who will criticize um i had this one guy this was funny this was a while back this was on uh one of my jason uh sackhead jason photo shoots and uh a friend of mine who was there on the shoot was taking some behind the scenes photos and of me getting him ready and you know kind of fixing some things and you know looking at the shot setting it up uh and that person left a comment on a on one of my posts publicly about the instagram stories and the behind the scenes footage about my Jason didn't look right. He looked too clean and looked too crisp. And I'm like, but you haven't even seen the final photograph yet. Like, why are you like critiquing it? You know, and then Dave put it into perspective. He's like, you know, sometimes, dude, when you're doing something so good, people have to do that for their own, you know, boost or whatever. So for those types of comments, I just tend to kind of shun them off and like, eh, whatever, you're just, you're, you're critiquing just a critique. You're not even critiquing the photo. You're critiquing behind the scenes stuff that was taken with a cell phone camera. So like, you, you know, it's like, you got to put, okay, the value in the critique. Now, if someone is leaving a critical comment on one of my photos and they don't even follow me, I delete them. I, I delete them and I'm going to explain why. I'm a firm believer in that you have a right to your opinion and express your opinion. But if you're not going to follow me and support my content, then why, then to me, you're just being negative to be negative. You know, I'd rather you support my content, follow me, you know, make the suggestion creatively and say, you know what, dude, you could have just maybe done this, you know, or did you think about maybe doing this? Those are the types of comments that I prefer because one, they're supporting me. So yeah, 
allow you to go ahead and leave your comment. And if it's even if it's a negative comment, I'm still going to let it ride because you're still here supporting the content that I'm doing. But if you're just stopping by just to be negative, no, and I just end I just end up deleting it because you're just someone you know whoever. I, I I've had to block some people for that because they would end up you know leaving the same comment again, and then just like. Well, dude, if you're not going to be here following me, why even bother leaving the comment to begin with? And, you know, in 2019, everybody needs to feel some type of self-worth, I guess, on social media and feel like they have a voice. And I'm just like, well, yes, I agree with that. But at the same time, if you're just, you know, if you're just briefly passing by someone's account just to leave a negative comment, that I don't agree with and that I, I control. I, I mean, I have no shame in that. Dave feels that I shouldn't. And he's told me that several times, like, you should just leave the comments alone. I'm just like, no, dude. I, and he understands why. He, he gets why. You know, I was like, if you're not supporting what I'm doing, then no, I'm not going to let you just leave a comment. But if you are supporting what I'm doing and you still want to leave a negative comment, I'm totally cool with that. And Dave does that on his channel, too. You know, he just doesn't respond to the, a lot of the people who just, uh, you know, uh, who just want to be negative to be negative. Because I dealt with that, you know, as well, too. There was a there was a dude that we've dealt with on his account. Um, yeah, I'm not going to mention his name here, but Is it, uh, um, he said. Is it Devonte? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh dude, this dude, this dude, this this dude, man, this dude has literally written me. Not, I'm talking novels, novels, emails. Like I'm talking like you're there for days, still reading it. You're on chapter five of just <laughs> this Christ. pure, pure hatred and just like I like. I, I, you know, I, I sent it to my lawyer at first and my lawyer didn't even know what to like, how to respond. She was just like, um, okay. Like, I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, like I don't even know what to do in this situation. And I told Devante, I said, look, man, my attorneys have this, they have your information. They have your job information. I just don't keep pushing it, dude. Because I, I did not want, I don't know this kid personally. I know he's in his, I thought, I'm sorry. He's not a kid. He's in his mid twenties, which made it even more scarier when, when I found that out, I thought he was like 16 years old and just being young and you know, whatever. But to find out that this dude is 25 was like, Whoa, like you're a grown ass man. You shouldn't be doing this dude. And, uh, I said something to him, but I think my attorneys ended up reaching out to him and like, really, cause he, I haven't heard from him since. Um, I think they might've reached out to him. They might've said something to him to say, Hey dude, you just, you can't be doing stuff like this. You're going to run the risk of losing your job. You know what I mean? You're threatening people's lives. He's, he's done the same thing to Dave as well too. And talking about the, the things that he would want to do to Dave and kill him and blah, blah, blah. And same thing to me and whatever. So that was, that, that was the extreme of it, you know, but he's, he's been MIA for a long time. And, uh, I think at the end of the day, you know, look, you're on YouTube. It's a lot harder to control the comment section. Um, it just is what it is on Instagram. I can have a little bit of say and a little bit control on it. Uh, for example, uh, there was a shoot that I did here not too long ago where I've given that person credit in the photos previously, but I really wanted to focus my credit towards the mask designer. And I said that like on this particular post, I said, and I told everyone, I said, look, I, you know, I've given you guys shout outs on other pictures. This one, I think I need to really focus in giving the kudos to the, the guy who created the Myers mask. And next thing you know, I'm getting messages from like, 22 year old girls like you should be tagging so and so and like i don't even know you you weren't even a part of this shoot and 
I am just like, what in the world is going on here? Like, where's this, this entitlement of what you can, what you think you can tell someone to do and what they can't do. You know what I mean? Like you didn't invest into these masks and these costumes and getting the location to do the photo shoot. You know, I had to pay for the location out of my own pocket to do that photo shoot where Michael's dragging the, the girl across the hallway in one of my recent pictures. You know, that was out of my pocket expense. And then you're going to come in and start criticizing me because I didn't properly tag the right people in the photograph that you wanted to see tagged in there because I wanted to give really the credit to the mask designer on this photo who I have not even given a credit to yet in any of my previous photos. And so when you come across situations like that, I think you have to handle it in stride. I think you have to, you know, just go, you know what? We live in a day and age where people there's this entitlement, you know, people feel like they are entitled, that they have a right to say what they want to say and do what they want to do. And I'm like, ah, not so fast. No, that's not the case. You may have some entitlements to something, but you're not going to have a say in what I'm creating. And if you don't like it, you don't have to follow me. It's that simple. Yeah. It's, but dude, like I, I honestly had no clue that the Devante thing escalated to that point. Like I thought it was just a, Oh, it was bad. It, it was, it, he was like for a minute, man, he was emailing me, you know, literally every day for like a month straight. And it's like I said, it finally got to a point where I, like I said, I had to send it to my attorneys. Cause I was like, man, I don't know. I, I don't, in 2019, you just don't know what people's motives are. You know, we, there's unfortunately too many incidents that happen throughout the course of the year in our country now that now what once was a shocking thing when I was in high school and Columbine happened and everybody was just dro jaw dropped like, oh, my God, because that happened in my senior year of high school. And now when somebody says, oh, there's a mass shooting at a high school, no one bats an eye anymore because it's become the norm. And that's a scary thing. You know what I mean? Um, so when you've got all these incidents that can, you know, just continue to happen year after year after year, my mindset is like, I don't know where this dude's head is at. I don't know wh where he's going to go and how far he's going to take this. So I just said, you know what? I took it all to my attorney and said, you have fun with this because I'm not dealing with it anymore. And like I said, I haven't heard from him since. And, uh, yeah, as far as the other people go is in the negative naysayers, man, look, you just got to ignore it as hard as it is. And it, believe me, it's hard. I get it. I'm a creator. I know what you go through. I know you put your heart, your energy into creating your podcast and your shows. You post it, you share it online. You're excited. It was a good show. And then you get somebody coming across like, yeah, well, I didn't like what he said about this. Or I didn't like your delivery in this. Or, you know, someone saying, you know, something about a photograph. And I'm just like, well, maybe just don't even leave a comment. You know what I mean? Like, okay, you don't like it. You know what I mean? Like, for example, you know, with the rise of Skywalker, you know, I chose not to do the video with Dave simply because of the fact that I wasn't a fan of the movie, but I didn't want to, you know, contribute to the negative toxicity that's going on right now with the star Wars franchise and everyone's just taking shots at it. Uh, which, so I made a decision and told Dave, I said, you know what, dude, let's, Let's find another road to go down to where we're not necessarily reviewing the movie, but talking about it, but not talking about it like we're bashing about, you know, bashing or that I'm that I'm coming across like I'm bashing the film because there's just a lot of people who do that. And I think it's just so much easier to criticize someone for the work and the effort that they're doing something versus to step in back and going, hey, man, I actually appreciate what you're doing. I can see that you're putting a lot of work into what you're doing. That seems to be a lot harder to do, which the irony is you wouldn't think to be kind would be 
to be kind seems like it would be the easier, but it's not. To be kind is actually a lot harder for people to do, and I that I don't understand. I never understood that. Yeah, yeah, it's so it's it's so fucking backwards. But like, just to kind of uh, piggyback off of your Rise of Skywalker thing, because I know this is gonna blow you away. I am not a Star Wars guy at all, but a lot of my friends are, and uh, they just saw it and they told me they came back and they were like, "Hey, Eddie, so we saw the Rise of Skywalker." And they know my love of uh, Joker this year. And, yeah, yeah. and they were like, it's better than Joker. And I'm like, yeah, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, look, look, I, no, I would not say that. I mean, look, it's two, di- it's two, different, two different styles of films. Uh, Joker to me, uh, Joker and uh, Irishman were my two favorite movies of the year. Uh, Joker wins out just by a little bit because uh, the cinematography is just absolutely stunning. Uh, everything Phillips did and uh, Joaquin did uh, to bring this character to life, uh, every creative decision, just like I, you know, you could literally see Joaquin just be in the zone of the, of this character uh, in every scene and just how methodically every scene was just framed um rise of skywalker is not even like that it rise of skywalker is more of like okay well we really screwed up on the last jedi so all we're going to do is just do a fan film for the fans to make everybody happy and throw in a bunch of fan service stuff and that's the reason why fans are happy i understand why everyone likes it because i'm a star wars fan so i totally get all the references i totally get why you're happy but from a narrative point of view it doesn't fit into what you're we are supposed to believe is the third chapter to a nine part saga. Uh, you know, if you were to break it up by the prequels, the original trilogy and these new films, you know, that's three, that's three, cha- uh, three long chapters, I guess you can say. Um, and when you get to this third act of, you know, the force awakens, the last Jedi and rise of Skywalker, it becomes just like a train wreck because it really doesn't flow from the return of the Jedi, everything up to the return of the Jedi from Phantom Menace to Jedi. And you can even throw in rogue one and solo that all flows. It flows with the narrative of the story that we know of, you know, the Skywalkers and this particular part of the star Wars universe. You get to this last part and you're like, okay, so we're here now. And, Okay, this is happening, and okay, yeah, you know, this is a callback to something that happened decades ago, but okay, it's not a flowing story. Um, but yes, do I understand why your boys are saying that? Absolutely, because if they're diehard Star Wars fans, I get it. I get all the, the, the Easter eggs and the callbacks and everything that was in there that they did specifically for the fans of this film. Do I think it was the smart choice to do? Absolutely not. I have my reasons. I have my reasons why Palpatine and the Emperor should never have come back uh, and how it undermines everything that Anakin does at the end of Return of the Jedi. Uh, Because now when I watch that scene in Return of the Jedi, I'm looking at it going, "Mm, well, I know what's going to happen in about 20, 30 years from now. So all this doesn't it doesn't matter as much as it once did. Uh, And I think Star Wars fans, when they come down off of their high, Perfect example, like I said, with Halloween 2018. And what happened with Halloween 2018? I said this last year with Dave. I said, everyone's on this high right now. Like, oh, we got the callbacks of this, and Jamie Lee is back, and John's part of it, and he's doing the soundtrack, and all this, da 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 Now that a year has gone by, all these people who were coming at me like, what are you talking about, Tony? This is the greatest Halloween sequel ever. 
all those same people now are like, yeah, dude, this isn't as good as I thought it was. Yeah, I kind of like Halloween 4 better. Yeah, I like the original Halloween 2 better. Like I told y'all, like, I, you know, because all they did in the new Halloween film was they did a fan service. They, they called back to a lot of stuff that we already knew, and that's why fans responded to it. But when you look at it from a narrative, you're like, wait, well, we saw this already throughout the entire franchise. It's not as good as you think it is, and that's what the same thing here with this new Star Wars film. Give it about a year from now, and these same people are going to be like, you know what? This, yeah, no, this ain't as, uh, this ain't as good as I thought it was. And I, I, Dave, I told Dave the same thing. I said, I'm telling you, dude, one year from now, you're going to feel differently, just like you feel uh, different about Halloween 2018. Yep. Yeah. And, and of course, I knew they were doing it just to like piss me off because, like, Joker, and, and I seriously hope you're considering doing this. Are you going to do anything Joker related with your photos? Yes, I am planning to, that is, you know, I am, I, it's the one character I feel in the one version of the character that I feel I can uh, step outside of the horror, what would be considered horror genre. I feel like with Joaquin's version of Joker, the horror community has accepted him. It's almost like a cousin, you know what I mean? Like, it's not directly horror but it's like a cousin to the horror community and the horror genre. I wouldn't call Joker a horror film, but the horror fans have embraced it. So when I made the announcement the other day that I'm in the process of casting somebody, I mean, I did a call and I haven't found the guy yet, but I'm, I'm looking for him and I'm going to do Joaquin Phoenix's version of the Joker. I'm not going to do a lot of the, the comic book stuff. I might do references from some of the Joker comics because I, I don't have many comics. Actually, I don't I have hardly any comics. The only comic books I have are uh, Joker-related comic books. And I only have maybe about, you know, the greatest hits. I've got Killing Joke. Uh, I got Arkham Asylum. I've got, uh, what do I got here? As I'm like literally looking at it. I got Adam Moore's book. Uh, killing joke i've got the arkham asylum joke i've got brian azario's uh joker uh novel which i might pull some references from there but use it with he- uh no, i almost said Heath ledger uh with uh joaquin phoenix's joker so there might be some of that that i might cross over but the 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 aesthetic look of joker will be joaquin's version i'm not going to tap into like any other version of the joker and when I was doing that as a feeler the other day when I made that post, um, more so just to see the response that I would get from people like, you know, will they like this or will they not like that? You know, rather than just surprising them and going, oh, yeah, here's here's a Joker photo. And everyone's like, well, wait a second. This is not what we're used to. We follow you because you do horror content. So I did that as a feeler first and I got a great response and everyone wants me to do that versus I, I I was going to do a Harley Quinn one, but I didn't get a really good response on that. I got a lot of people telling me, no, don't do it. Uh, not feeling it. You know, uh, I was tossing around some ideas of, of the, the costume and whatnot. And, you know, and I respected everyone's feedback. That's why I shared it on my Instagram story first. I wanted to get people's feedback. I wanted to know, what did you think, you know, about the idea of bringing Harley Quinn in? Nobody, nobody wanted me to do it. Everyone was like, don't do it. But when I posted, like you mentioned here a moment ago about the Joker the other day, I think I got upward to about six, 700 people responding to me, telling me, yeah, dude, do the Joker, do the Joker. And when I get those types of numbers on Instagram story, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. You know, I, I, I share the sentiment with everybody because uh, after seeing Joker, 
and I'm not saying every movie has to be this way, but man, that movie, and I'm pretty sure Dave said this. Can you imagine if that movie was the Kickstarter to the DC universe? Fucking shit. Oh, man. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know. Like, that movie should have been the Kickstarter because then when I see a trailer for the new Harley Quinn movie, I'm like, I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, no, you're going backwards again. You're going backwards. Exactly. <laughs> because I would have loved for, because I agree with you, because I would have loved for uh, Margot. Margot, I think, is a terif- terrific actress. Okay. I think she would have approached, she got stuck. When she played Harley the way she played Harley in Suicide Squad, she's now stuck with that portrayal of Harley Quinn. She can't shift. She can't shift the tone of her character because people will go and see Birds of Prey and be like, wait, huh? Like, what are you doing here? If she came across more serious and did it more uh, like a thespian like what Joaquin did in uh, Joker. Now, like you just said, if Joker kickstarted everything, Margot could have kicked back and go, okay, well, now how do I want to approach Harley and compliment Harley to his Joker. She would have approached it entirely different, and we very well could have a very different Harley Quinn right now, maybe even a much better Harley Quinn. I like her as Harley. I just don't like her portrayal as Harley. I like how she looks as Harley, I guess is the best way I can say it. Oh, yeah, like visually, she's perfect for it. And uh, the just the decision to make these movies PG-13 is is mind-blowing to me. And, I, and of course, there's obviously box office reasons why they do that shit, but, like, it's, it's sort of the same thing, like, uh, with the new Terminator movie. And I'm only bringing that up because this podcast previously was all about Terminator, and it's sort of like my okay. specialty. Um, it's, you know, like, when they, when they announced that that movie is going to go back to the roots of, of uh, the first two films and BR, I was fucking blown away. I was like, all right, sweet. It sounds like a return. Now, of course, I don't think that, it landed the way it should have, but they took a chance. And uh, I think DC needs to do that. And the fact that like some of my friends are even telling me like, Oh, well technically Joker really isn't even a DC movie. It's, it's, it's this standalone thing and it just has the DC label on it. But like, I'm thinking to myself, DC should have been doing this from the get go. And uh, yeah, you'll diminish. Go ahead. Do you know what my response, because I've had people say they literally verbatim what you just said. I've had my brother, who's a big comic book guy, say the exact same thing. I've had friends say the exact same thing about this Joker film. And my response to them has been, well, I've seen Batman v Superman in theaters. I've seen uh, Man of Steel in theater. I've seen Aquaman in theater. I've seen Suicide Squad in theater. I've seen Wonder Woman in theater. I've seen, uh, I think that's all of them, right? That, that in the current run, I, I've basically seen all of them. And of all the films now, tie in Joker, of all of them combined together, only one time, and now, and I've been to every showing where it's packed house. When Joaquin Phoenix is, when that Gary Glitter rock and roll part two hit, and he's walking down the hallway and he turns around for the first time as full Joker my theater erupted. You would have thought we were at a sports game. I mean, I'm talking people got out of their chairs screaming, applauding. You know what I mean? Like, I, and to me, I took that as a sign of like so much frustration with DC and people <laughs> wanting to like the DC material that finally you guys are giving us something that we really, really like, okay? Because all the other movies dead silent like and people walking out of there like what the what what the fuck did i just watch 
You know what I mean? Like, you know, other than Wonder Woman, there was a bit, there was a little more positive feedback uh, with Wonder Woman. Cause that, that was a good film. I, I can't hate on Wonder Woman um, as a filmmaker or creator that, that, that was a good movie, but it didn't have the same reaction. It's not like when she went full Wonder Woman there at the end, people weren't screaming and going, you know, jumping up and down and applauding and whatnot. Um, you know, and definitely not in Batman v Superman for sure. People, all of us were wondering, like, are you following this? <laughs> I'm not following. I don't know what the hell's going on right now. Like, I'm totally fucking confused. Um, and same thing with Justice League. You know, um, I liked all the actors who were casted in their uh, appropriate roles. I just didn't like how they were handled. It was really bad script writing. And it was a really bad delivery on Snyder's part. I understand what he was going through, you know, with his child and everything. So I, I get that. So that's why I don't tend to really bash Schneider too much. Uh, Cause you know, I, I just, I'm not a parent, but I can't even imagine what he's was going through while trying to put all this together. You know what I mean? Um, it puts it in perspective for a moment of like, you know, these are just people at the end of the day, they have family, they have children. Um, so I, 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 I tend to back off from that, but from a narrative point of view, when you look at all the DC's products uh, that they've put out there, I, the Joker by far to me is the best one, you know? And I honestly think that if you, I agree with you, if they had started with the Joker, this could have been the template. And I hope that's what Matt Reeves does with Batman, uh, with Robert Pattinson, man, I, I have not been in someone's corner to do so well and succeed at something ever in a movie. Like I am with Pattinson. I've been very pro on Dave's channel about it. I've been pro about it on my Instagram. I want to see this dude, just crush it and knock it out of the park. Fucking, you know, drop the fucking stereotype Edward Twilight bullshit because this dude is a really good actor. If you've seen Lighthouse, if you've seen um, Good Time, uh, uh, what's the dude, Good Time? Thank you. Yeah, Good Time. You know, you watch this dude and you watch how this boy has grown into a man and he's become a really good actor. You know, look, DiCaprio has been my favorite actor going back to what's eating Gilbert Grape in the early yes. 90s. I mean, I've, I've I've literally grown up with DiCaprio my entire life. He's been my favorite actor. But Pattinson, I'm telling you, in the new it, don't if you take Twilight out of the equation, you look at his indie stuff. This dude is coming on and he's coming on strong. His talents and chops as an actor. He is just a really good actor and he will be in the DiCaprio type conversations. If he keeps doing what he's doing uh, and these types of films and, and movies like the lighthouse and, and taking chance and working with really good directors as well too, uh, who can push his skills as an actor uh, to that next level, because it's not just the actor. It is also the director. That's why, you know, as much as people hated Stanley Kubrick and it's why Kubrick is my favorite director of all time. They hated him, but they also respected him because he pushed actors to the limit so that we as fans get to appreciate what we see in movies like A Clockwork Orange or Shining or, you know, uh, 2001 um, or, um, you know, whatever, um, Eyes Wide Shut, you know, whatever film you're a fan of by Kubrick. The reason why Kubrick is so revered is because he would push actors to that level. And that's all Pattinson needs to do is he just needs to keep working with actors. I'm mean, sorry, directors who are going to continue to push him. Like, I can't wait to see Tenet. Tenet just looks absolutely just amazing. It just seems to be like one of those other Nolan films that I just need to smoke a lot of weed do because <laughs> that's the, that's the only way I can understand a Nolan film. I cannot understand a Nolan film unless I smoke a lot of weed, especially interstellar. I love watching interstellar, man. Every time we, we, we will smoke it up. I'm like, yeah, we got to pop on interstellar because I just feel like I become so 
intellectually, you know, smarter as I finish watching that film and I understand the whole, you know, you know, black hole theories and all that stuff like that. And which I absolutely know nothing about, but very fascinated by, but I, I like that Nolan is one of those last Kubrick type directors. We don't have many of those out there and he's one of the few guys that I can put in the same, he's not as good as Kubrick, but he's that type of director that we don't have a lot of anymore. Yeah, Kubrick, man. Kubrick is, uh, for me, he's right behind Cameron. So for me, it's Cameron and then Kubrick. And Yeah, Cameron's the same way, you know? I mean, why, why do you think, you know, Cameron's films are so revered? Is because he pushes his actors to that next level, whether it's Terminator or um, T2 or um, um, uh, what was, he did Aliens uh, as well, yep. too. And uh, what was the other sci-fi? The Abyss. The Abyss. Right? Was it the True Abyss? Lies, yeah. Titanic. Uh, True Lies, Titanic. You know, um, and now he's got Avatar, and he's got this next run of Avatar coming out. Uh, there's a reason why Cameron is Cameron, and you know, uh, I can't wait to see like what he's doing with technology for Avatar. I mean, that that excites me more than the movie itself. Is what is he doing? What is he up to? Because every time Cameron does something new, it just changes the game of filmmaking. You know, uh, it's like Star Wars was the door that opened it, and then Cameron, guys like Cameron and other sci-fi directors were like, okay, I like what you did, Lucas, but now I'm going to take what you did and I'm going to bring it to another level. And that's what Cameron does. He brings it to another level. Yep, yep. And I was just going to uh, uh, kind of swing this question your way because I know last time I heard you say you hadn't seen it. Have you seen Dr. Sleep? No, you know, November kind of was a weird month, man. November just really, like December, just snuck up on me and then it was gone. Same thing with December. Like all of a sudden I'm like, oh wait, Christmas is next Wednesday. I'm like planning out my week for photo shoots and everyone's like, wait, Christmas is Wednesday, dude. You can't do anything. I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. Christmas is Wednesday. I'm like, how'd that happen? And just this last two months of the year just really slipped by me. Um, I haven't seen Dr. Sh uh, Sleep yet. Uh, I'm still only like halfway through the novel. I, I really wanted to read the novel before seeing the movie, but I don't think that's going to happen because I'm a horrible reader. Like I read like 10 books at once. Well, I, at the beginning of this podcast, that would make sense to your listeners because I do, I do 10 different things at once. So it would make sense to read 10 different books at once. And that's one of the book that I, I just stopped reading because there was another book that someone suggested that I'm in the middle of reading um that's really really good so and then there's like other books and then there's like photography books that i'm in the middle of reading and uh whatnot and i'm in the middle of reading a, an old star wars novel uh it's called darth darth plagueis uh and i'm like three quarters of the way done with that so like yeah reading for me is just like really really bad but i got halfway through dr sleep and i like the concept of dr sleep uh everyone who's told me um I will appreciate the movie being a Kubrick fan and some of the callbacks and to not worry that they didn't go full on Kubrick and try to copy him, but they did enough to go, Oh, you know, just a, a nice, a nice good callback, a nice good field moment of like, yeah, I remember when, you know, so that I'm looking forward to see in when I do finally get to see it. So I, I, people have told me about that. Yeah. Like I'm not a big reader at all. If anything, I'm like, I'll do an audio book. Um, but from what I understand is like this movie had a big issue because they had to kind of please both sides of the coin. So you had to please the hardcore King fans and you had to please the hardcore Kubrick fans who that's their only association with the shining sort of like me. Right. I never read the book. I only saw the Kubrick film. So going into this, that's what I'm expecting to see. But people that have read the book, 
are going in expecting kind of like a the polar bar. opposite yes. situation. Yep. So from my understanding, the film tied everything together. It, it, it made it all work. And I'm not going to spoil anything for you, but I just got to say like, if, if, cause I know the shining means a lot to you the way it means to me, this movie satisfied me very, very much. And, uh, and no, and that's not spoiling anything. Like I said, every, those who, who know my love and respect for Stanley Kubrick, you know, like I said, everything, my whole career is owed to him, you know, everything, how I do, how I approach my photos and photography. You know, I know I mentioned some of my favorite photographers early on, but really Kubrick is at the center of all this. He is my anchor when it comes to my creativity and my creativity process, everything else from other guys, whether it's Eggleston or Shore or Jason Lee or anyone else that I, I, other photographers that I get inspired by their work more or less inspires me. But when I come, when it comes to the actual framing of a photograph and the, in, in the framing of a scene or whatever, or framing of one of my horror uh, characters in a photo shoot, my mindset is thinking Stanley Kubrick and thinking how Kubrick would line up a shot and, uh, Kubrick was just so good at executing leading lines and negative space and going from a uh, leading line into a rule of third or a third frame. Um, meaning, uh, so like, for example, if you've seen a clockwork orange, yes. Oh no? yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So do you remember when Malcolm McDowell is walking in the, in the little shopping plaza and, and you're just walking along with him and you're following him until he eventually stops in front of the little vinyl record stop with the girls. Okay. Right? Yep. You remember, okay, so if you rewatch this now through the eyes of a photographer, he's literally Kubrick's got that perfectly lined up in a leading line center frame, meaning leaning lines. You've got two lines on the left and, and right of him that are perfectly lined up going all the way down this hallway where um, uh, Malcolm McDowell is perfectly center frame. It's all one take and it flows into uh a, a rule of third shot, meaning uh, if you were to pause the screen when when he completes the uh, the the turn where Malcolm now is standing in front of the vinyl stand in front of the girl, if you frame that shot and you were to draw tic tac toe bars, okay, the the girl and him should be lined up in the center part of the tic tac toe bars, and that's your rule of thirds of how to frame a shot, uh, and that's something like I said, only photographers are going to pick up. Uh, another scene that he does that perfectly well in is if you watch the scene where Malcolm McDowell first goes to prison and all the bathtubs are perfectly lined up and Malcolm is just to the right of that. Okay. That's another leading line you utilizing your rule of thirds framing. And then he shifts it because it's again, one take because he turns it around and now Malcolm's looking in the other direction where he starts to walk over to the prison guard. Again, that becomes another leading line shot, you know, and a lot of people don't know this about Kubrick. Kubrick was a photographer before he became a film director. Many, many years. He was doing fashion magazines and, you know, street photography. I've got a lot of his early work uh, and you could see the beginning stages of what he eventually was going to evolve into with his craft and uh, filmmaking. And the way he does that, not only in A Clockwork Orange and also in The Shining, uh, that's 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 very very difficult filmmaking to do because it, it becomes now an art piece. The concept of Kubrick is every frame almost has to look like it's a photograph. That's the way he he does movies, and that's very tedious, very time consuming, and you don't see a lot of that anymore. But you got a lot of that in the Joker. Uh, now with the Joker, the reason why I don't think they went full on like that is because of time constraints. Movies don't have. 
uh, six, seven, eight months like they did back in the day to be made. You know, these movies, you know, it's a business now. You've got an X amount of time to get this completed in and we need it released by said date. Uh, so you, you don't have the ability to take your time to methodically set up the shots like Kubrick did back in the day. Uh, and some of these other great art directors did uh, back in the day with other movies, not just Kubrick, but, you know, even Spielberg. Because if you look at a lot of earlier Spielberg work versus to now, you can see a bit of shift. And in, in the shift in the work is not because it's become bad. It's just because Spielberg doesn't have the time that he did, like when he was making Jaws or E.T. or whatever. Uh, you know, same thing when Kubrick made Clockwork and The Shining. You know, these movies made today, they might have some of that aesthetic look. But they're not going to have the full on because, again, it's time. You know, movie, I don't even know if Kubrick could survive today with doing like two, three hundred takes per scene because you just don't have that type of time anymore to make a movie. And that, that's where Dave and I have had those discussions on two dudes. And we talked about the quality of filmmaking has gone down. That's why I look at movies like The Exorcist. That's the, the Exorcist is a prime example on why it's my all time favorite movie, because that movie makes you feel like it's uh, you're a part of it. Cinematically, it's filmed beautifully. Every scene makes you feel like you're there, you know, whether it's the, the priest running around the track early in the morning and you can just feel that cool fall morning with the policeman sitting there reading his newspaper. That scene, you feel like you're a part of it. You don't get that with movies anymore because, one, a lot of it's CGI and, two, unless it's Tom Cruise, um, <laughs> you know, because he's like the only one who doesn't do CGI. And, uh, you know, and like I said, with the time uh, constraints, but I, I wanted to mention something to you because I just remember what I was going to say with in regards to uh, pleasing both sides with Dr. Sleep and, you know, the audience of the, the King novel and the uh, Kubrick fans. You know, Top Gun is going to run up against that same problem next year. I, we were talking about this It's because it's funny that you mentioned that with regards to the soundtrack. You know, the soundtrack was a, a very key part to the success of Top Gun. You know, you knew the songs like, you know, Danger Zone and uh, the song uh, You Lost That Love and Feeling and Top Gun Anthem and Berlin's Take My Breath Away and, you know, everything else that was, you know, sprinkled in throughout the entire movie. You know, now you've got to cater music like that to the, uh, the, the, the people who grew up on this film in the 80s and the, the, the 80s generation is going to have to be prepared for the fact that there's going to be newer music in this movie. Uh, and that's a tricky thing that they're going to have to balance because in the 80s, I, when were you born? I was born in 92. Okay, so you totally missed it. <laughs> uh, anyone who listens to your podcast and who, and who um, can, can remember, dude, there wasn't a time when that movie came out every song from that soundtrack was blaring on the radio. I mean, just every, like all a DJ had to do was just play the soundtrack. I'm just going to play the soundtrack of Top Gun, you know, and that that's, that's their, that's their next hour because like every song was just a hit and you could identify, you know, the songs with the movie and to, to do what they've got to do. I, I don't want to be in their shoes because that's a very tricky thing to do because the younger generation, unfortunately, I don't know if it was my generation's fault for doing this or what, but we haven't raised the kids up on our music from the 80s and the 90s, you know, because I, I meet a lot of young kids today. And if I play them songs from the 80s and the 90s, they look at me like, what are you listening to? Whereas like 
when I grew up, man, my parents very much exposed me to music from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. Uh, my vinyl collection consists of a lot of that music from that era, uh, whether it's the old Motown music or old, you know, doo-wop stuff or, you know, rock or what would be considered rock music of the 60s, whether it's the Beatles, the Stones, Hendrix, you know, or music from the 70s, whether it's Zeppelin, Floyd, Janice, uh, or she was more 60s uh, and part of 70s-ish. Um, you know, but like my parents exposed me to that stuff. Uh, it was very much, you know, played in the house. I feel like my generation who's in their forties and older, we didn't expose the young generation to a lot of stuff that we grew up with in the eighties. And I don't know why, I don't know why there was that disconnect, but I do know that a lot of kids today and young adults, they're not really a big fan of eighties music. I mean, some are. Yeah, I'm not saying all, but a lot of them are just like, oh, that's just too old, dude. I don't want to listen to that. Whereas like, you know, when I was a kid growing up and even with my friends, man, we would be cool with throwing on some old, you know, 60s music and 70s music and whatnot. But today it's 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 a different type of movie going audience. And so you've got to cater to these two generations because I don't think um, you, I, I, I don't think I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think. I know for a fact that my generation is not going to sit through a tire top gun movie with all 2019 pop music. I just, I know that that's going to be a big complaint because that to them is not what they're going to identify as top gun. Um, they're going to identify as top gun music from the eighties. But the problem is, is we're not in the eighties anymore. Um, and are they even going to approach this from a soundtrack? Are they going to just say, you know what, we're not going to do a soundtrack, which to me, I think would hurt the film because that's what made Top Gun so great was a great movie accompanied with a great soundtrack, you know, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do. As you were talking, I was literally thinking that I was thinking, I think this movie and I'm not that excited for it, but I am because I'm a, like, I love Tom Cruise. I think this movie's going to go for uh put aside the soundtrack yeah we'll have a score we'll like we might have honestly they might actually just do what like we're in the nostalgia era anyway they're probably gonna throw on take my breath away at some point um and uh they're really gonna focus on the visuals because that's the one thing between the first film and this film that is a big difference is the fact that they can put these cameras in these planes like just watching that trailer yes. And, and and literally feeling like you're in the cockpit with Tom Cruise versus the first film where, yeah, you felt it, but not really. This movie's going to make you feel it. And I, and I think that's what they're going to exploit. And honestly, and that's, that might become the soundtrack. Literally just these fucking insane sequences of just insane air, like, like, like combat in the air. And, and that's the soundtrack. <laughs> And I and I would totally be okay with that because it doesn't diminish it, to me. And I know I'm going to sound like, well, well, I'm not a boomer, thankfully, but I'm going to sound like a boomer right now. I'm going to pull the boomer card out. If it was a movie filled with a lot of 2019 um, music, that would take me right out of it because I don't listen to a lot of you know contemporary music and contemporary artists. I listen to pretty much mostly the music I grew up with, the 80s and the 90s, and then of course my my. Uh, parents generation music i music for me pretty much stopped in about the early 2000s um and i really haven't stayed up with it since uh i more and more so as i even get older i, I listen to more soundtracks 
on a daily basis than I actually do uh, music unless I'm putting together like, cause I still make mixtapes, like actual cassette tapes, mixtapes um, for my car. Cause I have a cassette player in there and I'll, you know, that's the music I'll listen to when I'm going out taking photos and whatnot. I, that's just something I've been doing since my childhood, going through my parents' records and flipping through and making my own little mixtapes to play on my Walkman. And for those who don't know what a Walkman is back in the eighties, we had this device with cassette tapes that we put in and we press play and we had headphones and that's how we played. What's a cassette tape? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, no, I I agree. I think that that would be good for Top Gun to do that because again, you know, what people identify Top Gun with in the first one anyways, is a great movie with a really great soundtrack. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I, and you know, I got to say like, again, I'm not that hyped for this film, but the fact that, you know, when you have Tom Cruise in there, you know, you're getting a, a, a higher level of authenticity. Um, and that's exciting to me as like a film goer and someone who enjoys uh, movies that aren't the norm. That's why I'm not into the Marvel stuff and, and, and why I wish something like DC would continue the Joker approach, this more kind of rooted in reality realistic yeah rooted in reality don't give me this bombastic beat me over the fucking head with cgi shit like 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 i'm so over it so i think and i think in part that's why if you whether you're following me on tony michael photo which is where my horror pictures are or tony michael pics with two x i almost did the three x thing but i'm like (laughs) triple x (laughs) yeah i might be walking a gray line on that one (laughs) but when you look at my photos they're not over processed they're not like everything looks real you know what i mean and that's what i my goal was to to make everything look as realistic as possible uh, I didn't want to go for the gore and blood. I just didn't feel like I needed to do that. I, I, my approach with horror is always the Carpenter-esque uh, type approach is that, you know, when you look at the original Halloween, there's barely a drop of blood, you yeah. know? And to me, I don't think you need to convey the message in my, in my photographs, you know, because a lot of people have asked me that, like, well, why aren't she, you know, isn't she getting stabbed and why aren't we seeing blood? I, I, I think what's more frightening, like, you know, I'm looking at like a a recent picture here with Leatherface I did, you know, he's coming down with the saw towards the girl as the girl's got her hands up. And it's like, I'm capturing that split second before shit's about to get really bad. I, to me, I always feel like that to me is more scarier than, you know, okay, yeah, we let's do it up. Let's get all the blood and whatever. And, you know, like, yeah, it's a cheap thrill. But at the end of the day, your mindset is going to tell you, well, this is fake, you know, because I know she's not really cut. I know that's not real. I know those scars are not real. You know what I mean? You you ask a lot of people that question when it comes to photos. That's a natural deduction in a lot of people's minds, and they don't know it. You know, it's just that process of elimination. Like, oh, that's a cool photo, but we know it's fake. When people look at my photos, because of the fact that I've taken the blood factor out of the equation and I don't over process my images and I rely solely on the story that's being told in the photo or the pose or whatever that's going on it adds to that more creep factor and that scary element of like damn this this is just too real for home you know what I mean um and a lot of people ask me like where do you find your locations and you know, stuff is a lot of it is just, you know, hours spent, you know, you know, when you follow my other Instagram account, that's what I'm doing. I'm out traveling around looking for locations to, to do photo shoots in. 
And, you know, primarily a lot of these are, you know, old abandoned places. And, you know, I contact the landowners, I show them my Instagram account. I'm like, this is what I'm doing. Can I shoot here? And, you know, and I get the approval. So anyone out there trying to do what I do, always get permission because I don't want you guys to get in trouble for shit. Um, you know, and I, I mean, I, what, I mean, you as someone who follows me, you know, what do you take away when you look at my photographs? That should really be the question I should be asking right now. I mean, like, that's the thing that oh, I, I, I'm not trying to flip it with a question to you, but I'm, I, I'm going to answer it. And then I'm going to ask you the question is when I look at a photo, I'm looking at it in terms of like something like what you do, where I know it's based off of a movie or I know it's based off of a, a intellectual property. I'm looking for not necessarily like, oh, man, does this creep me out? Does this do that? I'm looking for like the level of authenticity. I don't want. I don't want someone, you know, going out into the woods and shooting something and and I feel like I could place that in in any film and you're telling me it's supposed yep. to be like Jason. I want it to literally yep. be oh okay, so this is this is Halloween. I'm vaguely familiar with Halloween. I understand locations and does this look like it's Halloween? Okay, great. Yeah, it does. So when I look at your stuff, um that's what I'm getting from it. And what I wanted to ask you is when you're doing this, how do you like, how do you approach it from that mindset where, you know, people are going to look at this and, and judge it, but are they judging it the way you want them to judge it? Or do you really care how someone judges your film or not your film, your, your, your photo? Yes, especially I do care, especially if there's someone who's supporting the content because they're there, they're supporting it. And I want to make sure I'm delivering, you know, I want to make sure I'm doing justice to the character that they are a fan of. Because at the end of the day, it's like I tell every model that works with me, you're not above these characters. The people that follow me on Instagram, they're not following Tony because of Tony. They're following the characters that I'm photographing. These are characters that these people are fans of and i need to keep my mindset at all times of making sure i'm doing justice to these characters because it's not about me it's about these characters and so i'm very particular about people like mask designers you know you know i searched all, literally all over the globe uh, my leather face masks were made by a guy over in england my michael myers mask were made by a guy here in the states uh, my ghost face costume um, was uh, one of them. I have I have two costumes. I have the real uh, f um, uh, father death costume from the 90s uh, that was used in the original Scream. I've only used it a couple times because of the age of the costume. I try not to use it too often in my photo shoots. Uh, I also have the blade that was used in the original uh, Scream as well, too. The knife, one of the hero knives um, that was uh, Wes Craven's original Scream that was used for close-up stuff. Um, you know, whether I don't know what scenes in particular it was used for. And I don't know, you know, was this one of many because they usually have many hero knives on set, as we all know. Yeah. Uh, you have a backup, backup to a backup. So I don't know what version of this knife. All I know is it was part of it. I paid a hefty penny for it. And I do use it on some shoots. But the ghost face costume, what I did was I found a person in Australia who also made my Freddy, uh, the OG Freddy sweater uh, for me and basically recreated the father death ghost face costume for me. But I can use for my photo shoots. So I don't have to worry about 
wear and tear on the one that I have on display in my home because I want to keep that for as long as I can. And I don't want to wear it out to the point where it, you know, it gets ripped on a shoot by accident with the person who's playing Ghostface. You know what I mean? Like, I think because that that costume you can't find anywhere. Uh, you cannot get what I purchased back in 1996 that I still have to this day. You cannot find that anywhere. I mean, I have searched all over eBay, just nowhere, nowhere to be found. Uh, because we're, like I mentioned at the beginning of your uh, podcast here, I'm from Connecticut and that's where Fun World it was from originally. They're based out of Connecticut. Um, so when I found that out initially back in 96, uh, 90, yeah, it was 96, I think when Scream came out. Yeah, uh, December of 96. And uh, when I found out that the costume was made in Connecticut, I immediately after seeing Scream, I went down and got myself a copy from those guys before it was too late. Uh, and before the Scream became what it became. I think I paid for my Ghostface original uh, costume. I think I paid 10 bucks for it. Now, I could probably sell that costume for easily 10 grand because of the, uh, because of the fact that it's so rare to find. You cannot find that specific you know mid 90s father death costume anymore and the shape of the mask i have because i have that mold i'm able to have my mask designers recreate that for me because i have the original mold on the mask that was sold in the costume yeah uh, yeah like that's what i'm saying like that's that's what i'm looking for when i'm when, like when i look at your photos and and i'm actually not even that big into horror so i just i'm not trying to contradict what you're saying here but <laughs> I'm following you because I am a fan and I know, and I know you don't like that word, but I'm a fan of you. Like I'm, I'm looking through your photos at what you're looking at because you're a fan of that stuff. And in turn, I'm a fan of what you're a fan of. So, um, well, that, and you just hit it on the nail right there. I mean, that's just it. At the end of the day, you know, um, sometimes when someone does leave a critical comment, I'm just like, bro, you know, I'm a fan like you, I'm doing this because I'm a fan. I'm utilizing the skills that I do in my career as a professional photographer. And I have, this is just my creative outlet. This is just me to do for fun. I, I don't get paid doing this. This is my own investment into, from my own money, all the costumes that I've had made, the masks, the props, everything. No one paid. No, I didn't do a Kickstarter. I just paid it out of my pocket over you know a long period of time and uh, you know decided to do this. This is just my tribute to the genre that I grew up with. Uh, my first horror movie was Nightmare on Elm Street when I was six years old and I fell in love with it. I just like, I just, this oh, it totally opened up this whole new world to me. And uh, I always knew it was fake and I always knew it was make believe and fun, you know, whatever. And me and my brother, when we were little kids, we would reenact scenes and stuff like that. You know, one day I'd be Freddy and I, you know, I put together this really bad Freddy glove with um, a glove that my mom had. It was like a gardening glove. And I cut the fingers off at the top and put plastic knives in there, like literally plastic knives. That was my uh, first uh, DIY uh, Freddy Krueger glove. In fact, I think that might have even been when I was seven. That was the costume, part of the Freddy costume that I wore that year uh, when I was seven, when I had turned seven after seeing Nightmare on Elm Street when I was six. And uh, my glove was plastic knives with a gardening glove. That was it. You know what I mean? Well, because back in the day, we had to improvise on a lot of this stuff. We didn't have the accessibility uh, like we do now with, like, you're talking about the authenticity. Uh, that's why if you look at, like, a lot of my early Freddy photos, I've, I've begun to delete a lot of those off of my Instagram because I was never a fan of the Freddy um, sweater where it was all stripes. I was a fan of red sleeves 
stripes in the, on the chest and on the back. Uh, that's the original uh, Freddy. That's the original Nightmare on Elm Street. And that's the one I wanted. And when I finally found a woman out in Australia who would make me that sweater to a T, exactly the way Robert had it, um, you know, uh, that, that was like a blessing in disguise. Now I just got to work on the, the mask part because that's the only thing I haven't nailed. But the authenticity just comes with knowing the IP, knowing the, the, pro, uh, the, the property, watching these films, you know, uh, for 30 plus years and studying them and, you know, going back and rewatching, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre before I go out and do a photo shoot, looking at scenes, looking at the way, you know, Gunner was, you know, posed and whatnot. There's like little things like I don't think there's a photo yet that I haven't yeah i haven't shared it yet there's a photo coming up down the pipe here soon of my buddy who was dressed as leatherface with a pretty woman mask on and watch how he's standing and then go back and watch the original uh, texas chainsaw massacre and watch certain scenes when gunner hansen is standing those are like little details that i take from the movies to imply uh, to to apply to my photographs that some people pick up on and some people don't pick up on, you know, and I like the people who pick up on that stuff because that means I'm like, yeah, you're a fan, you know, you know why I did what I did and the decision I made that I did to pose in that way. And you're, you know, you're a true fan. And that's just, that's one loving the material and being a fan of the material and just, just taking a second love of mine, which is photography and just marrying them two together and going off and showing you guys or you're giving you guys what I hope are fun and uh, enjoyable photos to, uh, to look at. Exactly. And that's the, and that's the Kubrick mentality with the whole, you know, yes, this is a, this is a lovely shot here, but peel back some of these layers and you might find yourself going down a rabbit hole of, Oh shit, that meant this, which meant that. And, and yes. that's, yeah, dude, that's, ah, uh, I'm so happy. And it's hard. It's, it's hard to do that. Even it's easier to do that in a movie. It's hard to do that in a photograph. It's very hard at times to convey that message and, and to get people to peel back uh, the layers. And I, you know, I don't nail it every time in every photo, but I try to, I try to, you know, like, you know, there's a shot that uh, a lot of people love that I posted here uh, within the last month. Of, it's a reflection shot where Leatherface is, is uh, it's a reflection of him off of the a rear, a mirror from a car, you know. But the way I angled it, it looked like it's a POV perspective of someone who's seeing him pop up from behind. Um, so it's, 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 that's, those types of photos I love creating because it does have those layers or like, you know, uh, there was a shot of Ghostface, uh, someone looking down the staircase looking and, and you see Ghostface looking up. So it's creating that um, effect of, you know, that sit, even though I'm playing technically Sydney being the camera person, uh, it's the perspective of her. That is what I'm trying to give you. Uh, in those photographs. And then there's just the ones where I'm like, well, this would be a fun pose to do. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a cool looking pose. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you. And that it's the passion and, and, and it's the fact you don't, like you said, you don't get paid for this and it's just, you do it because you love doing it and you're perfecting your craft. And, but you do like, you are a professional photographer. You do get, you, you have yes. clients and you have oh, yeah. uh, shoots that you do. So it's not like you're just, yeah, I just, no, I just did one here this past week, a big one for uh, Microsoft and the NFL, uh, the launch of their new Surface tablets that the players are going to be using for the sidelines. Uh, they had an event here in Atlanta, and um, I've done work with them in the past, 
And so I guess they're, they're, they're one of my clients. AT&T is one of my clients. Um, I do a lot of marketing uh, stuff for them and promotional things for, for them. Ashley Furniture, they're a big furniture store. I've, through those who uh, don't know who listen to Eddie's podcast, they're just a, they're a f- big furniture store primarily in the South. I think they're all over the country. But the, the heart of their, them are here in the South. They've got more stores here. But I do think that they are spread out throughout the country. And then I got, you know, uh, the, the typical, you know, law firms and doctor's office, real estate agents. I do a lot of real estate uh, stuff as well, too. And then just the general, you know, headshots and uh, documentary uh, style photography. I get a lot of companies that uh, uh, contract me to do that. I did that for uh, Publix here recently, and uh, I, I did a documentary photo shoot. A documentary photo shoot, more or less, is it's it's documenting like Publix employees in their setting and in their scene and you know whatever not just the stores but also their corporate offices in Florida. They took me down there and and uh, did some stuff for them as. Uh, there, but did it in a documentary style, but in a photograph that that's what we call documentary, uh, photographs. So yeah, I, I am very fortunate enough that I, this is my career that I get paid to do this. And I do, that's my Monday through Friday job. And then on the weekends I do this, I go and do horror themed photo shoots, or I go and do just general photography for my, uh, other, well, what is becoming now I think eventually he's going to turn into a book. It's going to be like a coffee book. Uh, my other Instagram account, those photos, I think I'm going to uh, take stuff that I've taken from my journals and just put together a nice little uh, coffee table book for people to flip through from time to time. Sick, dude. Oh man, I'm I'm just I know your future is 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 nothing but bright and 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 uh, I'm excited. Better to see. be. I'm not getting younger. <laughs> I'm, I'm so fucking excited to see where it goes for you, man, because uh, you're, you know, like I said, you're just a cool, genuine, down to earth, funny as fuck guy and, and uh, very talented and uh, not trying to jerky here, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's the truth. And uh, that's why I wanted to get you on here and share your passion and, and uh, a lot of people listen to this. And uh, if there's anybody that is in the photography uh, realm and and uh, wants, you know, maybe some advice, do you, do you like do you recommend like can they reach out to you and ask you like, hey? Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, I, I love meeting other photographers. I love collaborating with other photographers. I collaborate with a lot of photographers in the Atlanta area uh, all the time. You know, you know, not so much on the horror stuff, but just in the general photography, because, you know, Horror is very, it's, 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 it's a personal taste, you know, not everyone's going to like that. And I totally get that. Uh, but for, you know, for general photography stuff, just to go out, shoot and shoot, um, you know, I, I always bring someone with me and I, and I'll, you know, tell them like, okay, this is why I'm shooting this single tree that's out in the middle of a field because I like the isolation of it. I, it's a, it's a unique composition. Um, and Georgia has a lot of that. Uh, anywhere in the South has a lot of that, you know, uh, the South has a very interesting aesthetic look that I just really have fallen in love with that a lot of people don't photograph much of, uh, but there's a big world out there just in, you know, whether it's in Georgia, Florida, or Alabama that I'm discovering every day as I go out and I meet up with a lot of younger photographers, um, you know, especially who are just starting off and, you know, try to guide them uh, as best as I can to get them on the right path. 
uh, and let them know like all my struggles, everything that I went through in my twenties and even in my thirties, you know, for me, it really didn't really begin to become super settled until about my mid thirties, you know, that, and that was like 15 years into the game. I mean, I was doing it and I was getting paid to do it, but really to a point to where I was totally in command of what I was doing. It was about 30. And then by about 35 was really like, Whoa, okay, this is really good. I'm doing, I'm, I'm finally like, there's that stability there and, and it's good and everything, you know, I don't need this anymore. And, uh, that was a really good feeling. So if, you know, yeah, I mean, if anybody who listens to this as a photographer and is aspiring to be a photographer, absolutely. I know your struggles. I know your pains. I know your doubts. I know, you know, is this good or is that good? Or is this isn't good? I know that I'm going to compare myself to this photographer, you know, and I, and that, that's one of the things that I don't like. And I, I think of, of one of the things that I really try to encourage a lot of other photographers not to do is don't compare yourself to other people out there and what they're doing. You know what I mean? Cause I think it, discourages a lot of people uh, from continuing to follow their passion and their love of taking photographs. I, I shared that story at the very beginning, but it's very true. You know, back when I was younger, all through school, my friends will tell you this, man, you know, all through school from junior high, all the way through high school, every weekend I would go out, take photographs. Uh, once I got to the point where I was developing my own black and white film, um, just black and white film, not color film uh, in school, you know, I would be sharing these photos, whether it was the black and whites or the role that I would develop at the one hour photo uh, in color every Monday. And it would be just to my group of 30 friends. You know, it wasn't like you know, we didn't have social media. You know, we didn't have, you know, Facebook and Instagram and, you know, all this stuff like that. So I would just, you know, share it with them. They like it. They told me what they didn't like. And that would be it. And a part of me misses those days because I miss the physicalness of being able to actually, you know, go and show my friends, hey, look at what I captured over the weekend. Now everything is depicted by social media. And I meet a lot of photographers who give up because they don't get a lot of likes on a photograph. And I'm like, well, shit, back in the day, I was only showing this, my photos to like maybe 30 people, if that, not counting family, you know what I mean? And I didn't care about likes. And, you know, then I started thinking like, well, I grew up in a totally tired, different generation. Uh, my, my social media for me didn't happen until I, when I was 30. That was 10 years ago. Most of my life so far was without social media, more than half of my life. Uh, so I, I sort of understand, but at the same time, I don't understand. There's a buddy of mine who works at Starbucks. Um, and he's a photographer and he stopped doing it because of that factor that he would compare himself to other photographers. He wasn't getting the same likes that other photographers. I'm like, man, don't let likes stop you from doing something you love. You know what I mean? Um, and you know, he's like, well, it's easy for you to say, cause you get a lot of likes on your horror stuff. But I'm like, yeah, but keep in mind, it's not, they're not liking me They're Yes, they are liking the photograph, but it's really the character that they're liking. You know what I mean? Because when you go to my other photography page, I don't know, I might get a couple hundred likes if, if I'm lucky on a photograph. It's not the same, you know? So, and I don't care. You know, I, I never really had that, like, I got to get so many likes. I got to have so many followers, you know, or whatever. And, you know, you have people comparing themselves to like the Peter McKinnons. I don't know if you know who that is or not. Um, and Casey Neistat and all these other guys out there who've got millions of followers and, you know, whatever. I'm like, well, you know, you don't live in Canada, so you can't be Peter McKinnon. You can't get those types of photographs that he's getting of the Canadian landscape and the mountains and all that stuff like that. If you live there, you'd be getting the same stuff that he's getting. So that's what I was saying here uh, a moment ago about finding a whole different world 
that's not being explored in Georgia, Alabama, and Florida and photographing things that are totally different on my other Instagram account that's not horror themed. Is it the fanciest looking stuff? No. But if you were to look at it and sit back and just look at what I'm framing in the shot, you'd start to go, you'd start to see a pattern in a theme there about singularity. Isolation and singularity is, is, is the best way I can describe my other work. If you were to really, like you, you said here a moment ago, peel back the layers and see like, okay, what is he doing? Why did he take this photograph? And when you get to that state, you're like, oh, okay, I get that. And that's what I really try to encourage other photographers to do is like find something out there, find your niche, you know, just because you can't travel the globe and see all these epic landscapes to photograph. So you can have this popular Instagram account, like you said earlier about being fake that, that, that that's being fake right there because the irony of those influencers who are popular and uh, you know, who were more than likely the popular kids in school and whatnot, those same kids were laughing at me in high school because I had a camera in my hand. I, I, I think of the juxtaposition from when I was a teenager to now. When I was a teenager and I was taking pictures, nobody wanted their photograph taken. People hated pictures. I would get made fun of because I had a camera in my hand and whatnot. Now, it's the coolest thing in the world. That's the, that, I think, is the irony of where we've evolved to with photography. And, um, you know, now you have people who just throw presets on and, you know, they just call themselves a photographer. And uh, that's not a photographer. A photographer is someone who photographs everything and embraces everything to what photography has to offer and pushes their boundaries beyond just doing the same thing that everyone else is doing and finding your own, you know, niche. My mother always said that about me with my photography skills, even when I was younger, we would be on vacation somewhere and everyone would be photographing the popular, like in Disney world or whatever, right? Everyone's photographing the big castle. You're over there photographing this one thing. And I'm wondering what the hell is he photographing until I see your photo. I'm like, God damn, how did he get that shit? You know what I mean? It's like my eye was always drawn to the opposite of what was popular, I guess is the best way I can describe my work. And that's what I encourage other photographers to do. Don't just aim for what's cool and what's trendy and what other Instagrammers are doing. Find your own voice, do your own shit, and don't worry about the likes. And likes are, they don't mean anything. They don't pay the bills. I can tell you that much. Beautifully said, man. I, I, I love it. And uh, I'm really happy you came on here. And you you said I could come on for about an hour. We've almost hit two hours. So yeah, dude. fucking loved I, it, know, dude. I, I, I hope, I, I mean, I hope people like it. I, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm very, I'm, Dave will tell you if you if, Dave, if you ever get Dave on, he'll tell you I'm very insecure. I like I feel like I don't have anything important to say. I feel like I'm like not significant enough. So I hope your listeners do get something out of this. And yes, I strongly encourage uh, any photographer, please either at Tony Michael Photo or Tony Michael Picks with two X. Uh, reach out to me, you know, ask me as many questions as you want about photography. I can talk about photography all day long. Um, it doesn't matter or horror movies for that matter too. You know, um, if you follow on the horror page and don't be afraid to ask, I mean, really do not be afraid to ask. So I hope there's been some insightfulness to this podcast. Other than that, this was easy, dude. I mean, you, you, you do a great job of hosting a show. Definitely for sure. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And I just wanted to, cause I had no clue that this is, uh, that, that this was the case, but I just want to throw this out here and I, I'd, I'd love to talk to you off air about it, but uh, the, with the Joker shoot, I, I would just love to at least be considered because I'm just across the state line. 
That's all I'm going to say. All right, cool. All right. So, well, definitely a possibility, man. I mean, a lot of it comes down to, you know, f- you know, f- fitting the measurements and whatnot for my girl to put your costume together. So if that works out where it works for her and works for you, yeah, that, that, that could be possibly arranged. Perfect, man. Awesome.